welcome to yet another episode of the Swiss Ballers Pod. I'm Fabo, and as usual, I'm joined by an absolute baller, my good friend Arman, back home in Zurich. Christmas is fast approaching, which means the Premier League games are flying in thick and fast, and it's fantastic, unless you support Man United. How are you, brother? Good. Look, I'm wearing the festive Yeah, you've got your Christmas jumper on. It's not, it's no, not jumper, a jumper, not shirt. A, a cheesy, colourful one, though. It's it's very plain and Swiss yeah, I like diplomatic. It. It's nice. Yeah, it suits you. Yeah, it's nice. Nice. Thanks. Um, I always, I don't know what to say on these questions, like how we're doing. It's always like about the weather. It's always like boring, uh, small talk shit. So No, I mean, you, you know, you, you you can say, you know, you went to the gym, you played weekend yeah. league all night. You know, there's there's plenty of stuff going on in yeah, your life true. that I know of. Yeah. You've always got something. I, I, I clutched the last three weekend league games, which I had to win. So um, you did actually, yeah. yeah. We both struggled yeah. a little bit, didn't we? It was yeah, it was, sweaty. It was tough. It was really tough. It was a tough I, weekend. I, yeah, it was a tough weekend. Shout out to all the fellow Ultimate Team players out there. Yeah, um, who don't I've... know as well why they do it every weekend. Yeah, but we seem to do it religiously, don't we? <laughs> yeah, every Sunday, every fucking Sunday. Anyway, um, I'm good as well. Thank you for asking. Oh I'm yeah, kidding. I'm kidding. I, I never actually asked. You see that but, that's uh, what you could do. You, you could ask you want, me. You want, well. you want me to um to do that as well. It's up to you, you know, feel free. Okay. I mean, I don't know how how people how much people care about how I'm doing. Um yeah, I'm happy happy me. to report that, you know, I went to the gym today. Um mm. doing So Fab, how are you doing? I'm I'm no, I'm I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Game week fifteen is the center of discussion in our party. Um, we'll have some VAR discussions and we'll chat about Aston Villa and why wow, they're so good. Uh, but for now, the key question for you is, what is your favourite Boxing Day memory? Ah, Boxing Day, Boxing Day. If it helps, I'll go uh, first. Mine has to be yeah. 2012-13. Most United fans will remember this game. It's 2012-13, a very rainy, soggy Old Trafford when we hosted Newcastle. This was back in the day when United were a better side than Newcastle. Um, <laughs> uh, a 4-3 thriller with Chicharito scoring, scoring a last gasp um, winner in stoppage time from a wondrous ball from Michael Carrick over the top. Um, yeah, that was a great game. Really, really good game. That's my answer. Yeah, yeah. I think it has to be last season because... Uh, the Boxing Day was the first game after the World Cup. Oh, and was it? Was, oh, yeah, because you yeah, had the Cup, of was, course. It was against West Ham at home, and mm-hmm. it was sort of like the question, oh, are they, like, tired now? And, the, like, the, the rhythm stopped because we were, like, playing such beautiful football, and maybe it's not going to be the same. And I um, and I actually watched it in a restaurant, the root, the rudeness I have to be with my family and watch it. Like on the on the on the, on the phone, but uh, yeah, I had to. Like end. a proper Arsenal fan should as well, by the way. Yeah, come on, it's, it, Boxing Day is for football. My, yeah. even my mum knows at this point. You know, she knows yeah, twenty six. Yeah, yeah but afternoon on, I'm like unavailable. They're, yeah, they're used to it that I'm that I'm sort of like this, and yeah, and we just we just ripped them apart, and I was so happy because they took the lead actually, Ben Rama penalty, and then what was we the final score. It. 3-1 and we managed to turn it around in the second half with Eddie scoring and B scoring amazing Eddie B you're on first name terms with all of them aren't you yeah of course he is 
Um, okay, I mean, fair enough. It's, it's coming now. Who, who have you got on Boxing Day this year? We don't have Boxing Day this year. What? Doesn't have oh, a Boxing Day sucks. picture now because we have we have Anfield at the twenty third, and then we have someone on the twenty seventh. I think. Oh, that's just no. You need to play. Yeah, it doesn't day, feel man. right. It doesn't feel. But uh, I'll watch some other games. Yeah. It's fine. Okay, you can watch United versus Aston Villa. Um, is it? Yeah. Oh, is it at Old Trafford? Yeah. I, I, I'm gonna enjoy the game. I think it's gonna suck. Anyway, um. Let's let's get into it before we turn our attention to the Premier League. We we do need to talk about a couple of international football things. Um, let's start with with Bayern, our favorite go to topic in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> they lost four yeah, five one actually to Frankfurt, um, and they're now three points adrift at the top of the of the league. Leverkusen leading the way. How ironic would it be that the year Harry Kane joins? This is the first year in twelve when Bayern don't win the Bundesliga. The yeah. the irony, I'm sure, isn't lost on you either. Harry Kane, yeah. former Spurs player, etc. Mm. And yet, still, he's got like eighteen goals in what 13, 14 games. It's madness. Mm. But do you worry for Bayern at all? Because there is a lot of noise going on. They are adrift. Where do you sit on this? Yeah. I'm mostly concerned because there is Leverkusen and I think they're playing incredibly well and Bayern always have like some, they're not always perfect in the first part of the season. They have most of the time like in in October or at now in December, they have like a period where they're a bit shaky, you know. But I watched that game actually and I thought they weren't at their best, but Frankfurt just, every chance was a goal and you just have those days where you're just like okay it's just a fucking bad day and of course they were they were better i mean they they um they were much more aggressive and much more um i would say tactically prepared for the game i think Mm -hmm. you could clearly see where they were targeting the spaces and uh like when they wanted to play through the lines you know they always like they made the step outside and they came inside to to intercept the pass. I don't know if you if you get what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. They they made it made it so well, and then they counter attack after counter attack. Yeah, they they it always felt the game like, up after a while. Yeah, like they, it always felt like although Bayern were on top, it always felt like Frankfurt was closer to scoring because there were so many transitional moments where they could go like okay, sometimes they get intercepted or they get defended, but there's like another moment and another moment and oof. Imagine if if he could pass go past him, then it would be a counter attack again. So, yeah, they were just they were just. Bayern had a bad day, but I've, the scoreline is a bit is a bit high. I think. Yeah, it was it was surprising also because Frankfurt were in a bit of a slump themselves. Yeah. Four games without. Yeah, a sometimes win. a game like this is perfect. No. Yeah, they got knocked out of the of the cup on on Wednesday, I believe it was against uh, second tier Saarbrücken and. Um, the nightmare of all the teams. Yeah, it's, they've knocked out Bayern and Frankfurt actually. So it was the the Saarbrücken derby if you want for a better word um but uh yeah frankfurt needed that performance the they were down and, and out as well and as for a team who's regularly been playing in europe now it, it came out at a, at, a, at a good time this this bayern game somehow and obviously bayern united's next opponent in the champions league i don't think there's anything united can even do to get close to them they're just on a different level um the only hope 
is that we yeah, can Bayern have... will rotate maybe you know that's that's one of the because Bayern have Stuttgart on the weekend and they're obviously playing mm. a, a good season as well um so maybe there's something there and and with Bayern's backline I mean Upamecano as much as as I like him as a defender he has a blunder or two in him so um yeah, you, you never know. But uh, a good game for sure. I mean, United versus Bayern Munich is usually a, a good game and, and one I'm sure many neutrals will watch. You would if Arsenal weren't playing at the same time. Um, yeah. So, no, Arsenal playing at... Um, oh, the early kickoff. At the, the early kickoff, yes. Oh, nice. So, okay, so you might even watch it. Might get around. United United can still do it, right? If they if, beat them... If, yeah, if they win and, and Galatasaray versus Copenhagen is a draw, then yeah. United somehow miraculously with, yeah. uh, what, three points, four points, yeah. uh, six points, it would be seven points. Galatasaray yeah. and, and Copenhagen may go in the 90th minute, go like uh, rock, paper, scissors, and who wins it can go through like... <laughs> It would be so stupid if they would draw. No, yeah, I was I thinking this th- as well. I always think of this when 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 the scenario is like this. Like, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't there, because whoever there whoever, must be a way. <laughs> I think Copenhagen is it would come in third and they would still take Europa League. You know, so they oh, would probably take true. the draw. Oh, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. fair enough. Fair but enough. it's it's a very difficult game to call. I mean, you know, yeah. in in Istanbul. Is it that Copenhagen? It's in Istanbul. It's in Istanbul. Okay. Yeah, my favorite. No, sorry, it's in Copenhagen. I'm I'm lying. It's in Copenhagen, of course. Okay, that might favor Copenhagen a bit yeah. more. Yeah, tricky one. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. An interesting Champions League night coming up for sure. The other topic I want to talk about for international football is um, the Spanish football, where Girona are still top of the league. They've now beaten Barcelona 4-2. Duran texted me this, this morning and he was like, did you see the slaughter? <laughs> and uh it's it's it, i mean we spoke about Girona them from the city group owned club playing with Dali Blind in center back um and they're just going from strength to strength and and Barca fell to Dumbasa now a few points adrift the top is is there a le- i mean we're obviously a bit further away from from spanish football and we've discussed this mainly with Joan recently but from afar, do you think there's a Leicester story incoming there, or will it looks like Real Madrid the the key challenges at the moment? Do you think it will end up being the usual suspects in Spain in the end? Yeah, from what I've seen, the highlights they do look like really they're they're sort of in a in a rhythm. I'm not that close, so I cannot really judge it. But I mean, we with Leicester, we 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 said we said no, so. Why not? But we have to say that Leicester, they didn't really have any big competition. Like Arsenal, Tottenham were the only close ones. And I mean, they I think Leicester finished on 81 points or something like that. So, yeah, I think Corona just needs to hope that they have a season like Tottenham and Arsenal back in the day and then maybe they can get it. But if Barca and Real Madrid recover, then should be no, no question. Yeah, they've got to hope they stay fit as well. I mean, Savio is is so key for them. If he if he, you know, touch wood gets injured or something, then could be lights out very soon, very quick over there. So mm. fingers crossed they they keep their players fit because they're making things very interesting. They're now seven points ahead of Barca in the table, which uh, which feels crazy. Yeah. And and I'm sure, yeah, but a lot of games to go. I think, of course, of course, but still at yeah. the halfway stage, you know, even if they make top four, it's an amazing yeah. achievement, and yeah. you've got to respect it. But it's something like when you when you lose a game, all of a sudden it's four points, and then 
it's already like it's it can go so fast of course <laughs> of course like you last season know. i think I, I would know like honestly eight seven points it can go so fucking fast yeah because it's all in the head isn't it it's all between yes. the ears makes a big difference uh, okay speaking of decisions and in the head and this is a random one but i want to do it anyway if the euro started today and you were england manager who would be your 11 you're starting so, 11 so for the group stage for yes the first, first game, game group first stage. game of the group stage i don't actually know against... heart, who they play against um, yeah i think it's the... a big factor really okay. lineup. yeah it's a big fa- because yeah okay I, I would just i would just say my line if you i think you probably wanted me to go for a lineup they they play serbia first if that helps but serbia i think first. you you want to let's go let's for say Let's say no, 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 no. Let's say today, okay. tonight is the Serbia game, okay. and you're in charge, and everyone who's fit now is fit then, and uh, you have to field your eleven. Who's who gets mm-hmm. the nod? Who starts? Uh, so in goal, I have Pickford mm-hmm. at the right back. I actually think Reese James is probably the the best choice here, but mm-hmm. he's not fit and not in on form, and Walker is just more reliable. And if you yeah, I, I would just go for Walker. And on international football, I think he's great. Then I have Maguire and Stones at centre back. I don't think. Do I have to comment on these, or can I sort of just read so, them off? I'm enjoying your commentary on it, so go for it. Okay, <laughs> so I think yeah, they they've been doing so great together, and especially in the tournaments, they have so much experience now in the tournaments. I think they've been playing together since 2018 in these big tournaments. So yeah, don't I wouldn't change anything there. Uh, left back, I'd have Luke Shaw. Um, mm-hmm. You know that I'm a big admirer of his. I think he's a very solid, intelligent left back. Uh, I really like how he plays. Experienced um, in tournaments as well at this point. Very experienced tournaments, scored some big goals as well. Then I'd have, as the pivot, I'd have, um, what's his name again? Uh, Declan Pasta. Rice, Rice Baby. Um, yeah. I don't think I have to comment on that. Um, and then, <laughs> then, then this, then where it gets interesting. Like, of course, I have Bellingham as the as the left high eight in a way, and mm-hmm. then um, on the right side I have Trent. And the reason okay. why I have Trent is because I think he's his delivery is that good that he makes up for the rest of it. He's, it's that good and I think now he he's getting used to it with Klopp like going into midfield um, when they have the possession and I think def- defensively he's getting better from year to year and um, he runs a lot he has very high game intelligence it's just about the, the one thing where it might concern me is when you play France and then you play against midfielders who played there their whole life and have experience in the big tournaments and all of a sudden Trent is in the is is always one nil to France and everything is going fast and you don't have the, the the mechanisms that you have from from young like to you don't have the opportunity to play yeah. six, seven, eight balls in there and you, you'll get most of the possession and exactly. Yeah. yeah. So do you let's just let's just open a sidebar yeah. on this because it's an interesting But for topic. Serbia I would say the trend, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna let you continue and I want to hear the rest of the front three yeah. actually is left. Yeah, just on this trend thing. 
I asked you a while ago when he started sort of pivoting in that midfield role. I think Southgate played him there first, and then obviously with the inverted fullbacks now in in for the top teams in the Prem, it's becoming more of a thing. But I remember when this topic sort of first came up, I asked you and Toto at the time if you think Liverpool will eventually buy a right back and move him into midfield more permanently. And both of you were like, no, that's not going to happen. He's going to stay right back. And I think, and I think now the progression is pointing more towards the, the sort of likelihood that Liverpool will buy a center of a right back, sorry, and move him into midfield and playing him alongside the likes of your endos, your, I don't know, McAllister's and Sobers lies. Do you agree with that? Or do, or do you still think he has to be a right back, but then move in to dominate play? Yeah, I think it depends how Klopp wants to set up. Um, because yeah, on the right of midfield, you have Sobasla, you know, and I don't know who's playing most of the time in the left of the midfield. It could be like it was, um, what's the young guy called? Jones. Kurt, Curtis Jones, yeah. Yeah, I like I actually like Curtis Jones. I think he, I think he's, he, he's very good. But yeah, I think it depends how Klopp wants to set up because I think by adding... Trend from right back, you have this back three of Robertson or Van Dijk and then Konate or Matip, which you can build. So I don't think he desperately needs a right back, but it could be an option for when Trent is out to play him at right back so that, how should I say it, that you have a bit more balance in the team in a way. But yeah, I've do you but think that... it's sustainable though to to have this to keep Trent at right back and then kind of leave the right yeah. side open and vulnerable to to maybe the lion's share of opponents' attacks because we've seen it exposed. We've seen Fulham have a lot of fun down that left hand side the other day when mm. they were at Anfield, and you know the better teams are going to punish Liverpool for kind of moving Trent into that midfield role. Yeah. But I think Sinchenko has been doing it as well, and I think it's, it's defensively it's working. But, out but fine. surely Sinchenko is, is doing it to a different extent, where like Sinchenko will do I it think to it's create very, an I overload. It, yeah, but you, it's similar. I think it's, it's similar. Would Would you say that that I because when I see Trent doing it right, I that Liverpool build around him, like he's mm. their playmaker, and whereas yeah. with Sinchenko, I feel like he's more of a he goes in there to create an overload to to make an extra body in there. Yes, he can spread yeah. play. Yes, he can play the pass. But with Liverpool, as soon as Trent is in that role, people look for him. People are like, "You have the ball. You dictate where we're going to go." And I feel like with with Sinchenko, it's much more fluid. You don't see Sinchenko yeah. doing this every single time Arsenal blow from the back. No. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. But I think when you probably see the heat maps. They would be similar. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Similar, yeah. But in terms of how often they, I mean, don't, I don't have the stats to back this up. We yeah. need to get Dwayne on for this. But you know what <laughs> I mean. Like I, I feel. I like, know what you mean. Yeah. I feel like Liverpool are. It's more focus on him. Yeah. Whereas Sinchenko is really like there to play one touch football and make, make like the, the the final pass which sets them up to go for the attack. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Trent plays the long balls as well. Yeah. So we will keep our eyes open for a, yeah, a Liverpool right definitely, back. Definitely, definitely. Very interesting, interesting topic, yeah. Cool. Do you think this is something, this is the last question on this topic, then mm -hmm. we'll go back to your England squad. Do you think this is something yeah. we'll see in amateur levels as well, that the right backs are being asked to move in? It's very funny you say that because I discussed it. We had the Christmas dinner with the team mm -hmm. and I discussed it with my coach and he said, 
um, because he watches a lot of football as well. And he said he thought about that as well. But I think it would just it would just bring too much chaos for now. But maybe we'll look at it in the summer or something like that. But uh, I think it would just create too much chaos and it wouldn't. Maybe it would add some some um, phases in play where it could gain. But on the whole, I think it would disrupt too much defensive stability. Yeah, I yeah. probably agree with you there, but it's also yeah. there's, a, there's and we don't there's... have a, we don't actually don't have a, a fullback who can play there. I think fullbacks traditionally on on like amateur level are the guys who like just about made the team. You yeah. know, no one no one grew up wanting to be a Gary Neville. Famous words, but it's true. <laughs> you know, it's like oh, you, Gary you just... Neville's always so hard on him on himself, man. Gary Neville's hard on many things. Um, yeah, true. Right. Yeah, so. bless him. Okay, back to England. You've so far picked your back four. Um, yeah, uh, your front three is. And your midfield three. Now we need to know your front three. Yeah. So at the right, hmm, who could play on the right? <laughs> I would just go for Saka. No, actually, it was. I think Saka and Foden is a good debate, to be honest. Um, but it, it seems like Southgate prefers Saka, and Saka backed up with good, very good performance at the World Cup. So yeah, I think I think Saka is. I think is nailed on. I think for. Not that not he's nailed on for me. I think Foden and Saka are very close, but um, because on the left for me is definitely Sterling, definitely because yeah. when you have Harry Kane, first of all experience, mm-hmm. big goals in big tournaments, mm-hmm. big performances in big tournaments, mm-hmm. he's on fire for me. I, I didn't see the game yesterday, but the way he takes on players, I think he he did something in the summer. His close control is so good. Yeah, madness, madness. It's, it's crazy. And yeah. if he would play in a like in an Arsenal team at the moment, or in a, in a City team, or even in an Aston Villa team, he would flourish so he'd, much. He'd scratch more. twenty goals for it's season. Crazy. For sure. He would 100%. easily, and yeah. he would get like we talked about this as well. Like a winger is a, is really dependent on on his um, midfielders giving him the right like passes in the space to attack spaces. And yeah, Sterling for me is a must. And especially with Harry Kane, you want those wingers attacking these diagonals, you know, because he can play these passes second to none. I think you need a fast winger. So that's why Grealish is out of question for me to start because because it's so dangerous. And 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 if you think that if you think of a back like imagine Serbia at the back line thinking Sterling or, or Grealish, I think they rather play Grealish, to be honest. And yeah, I, I can yeah. see Southgate doing a similar thing. Um, yeah, with but he Grealish wasn't in the to, squad, to, to which, which for me is, is very... it's a, bit, a bit of a question mark. Yeah, but I can see yeah. Southgate going a sort of a yeah. Pep way where Grealish plays yeah. the games where he needs to control the game more against the bigger opponents. Yeah, but Foden needs to be in as well, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you're leaving out some some huge names, yeah, of course. Foden, Foden is the pick of the bunch, tough. probably. Yeah. yeah, to be honest, if I would be very, very honest, I probably would start Foden ahead of Saka at the moment fair enough there you have it let us know what you think let us know if Armand is is mad for not picking Foden for not I picking think all right for not picking Rashford how dare you I just corrected um, I, th- I think I would start Foden ahead of soccer okay fair enough well either way let us know your thoughts um, I'm sure people will have <laughs> opinions on this it might change of course until the summer I think they will say pure facts <laughs> let's let's see let's see usually there's usually there's opinions on on england's on england's 11 yeah, that's true that's true 
let's focus on the Premier League and let's start at Old Trafford. Um, United lose again to, to Bournemouth after I had my little speech last weekend about why I'm sort of turning my back on them. They did beat Chelsea, but that's really because Chelsea are even worse than United at the moment. We'll talk about them in a sec. But instead of bashing Man United more, because nothing's changed at all, let's talk about Bournemouth, man. And Donny Raiola, their, their manager, has uh, has really steadied the ship now. They've The players have really started to buy into what he's doing um, at Bournemouth. And, and a lot of people were very early on in the season were like kind of writing them off already because... The, the early results weren't very good. I mean, you know, like they they failed to win any of their first seven games, I think, or ten, nine games, I think it was, until they finally beat uh, Wolves on... No, sorry, they beat, finally beat Burnley um, in in October, that was. So, so and but then recently then, they've really managed to put together a few very good results, beating Newcastle, beating Sheffield, drawing against Aston Villa, which we all know is very difficult to do. And the last two games, 5-0 uh, on on goal difference, two away wins at Palace and Man United. And it's really coming together for them. And it's really given them uh, more than just belief, actually, a real chance to stay up and stay up comfortably, in fact. Talk to me about Bournemouth and what you, what you think of them. Yeah, I was one of them who was wrong as well. I mean, when I saw them play against Arsenal, it was just like, I was like, Phew. That's not the way you go about playing against Arsenal when you're like when you don't have the same quality. You you do the thing that Luton and Everton do when you go to their places, you know. Um, yeah, so that's why I was a bit like they were playing out of the bag, but sometimes not. And then they were pressing like half, leaving huge spaces between front line and midfield and and defense. It was it was a bit all over the place, and it was just a, such a in a in a in a period where we didn't play well. They make us look really, really well, um. So yeah, I was, I was, I was worried when I saw that performance because there was no, no fight, no emotion, yeah, nothing to make life difficult. Um. Yeah, and since uh, they seem to pick up like a more robustness about them, and as a manager, which is natural to do when he has more time, he has more time on the training pitch and. He can implement the style and for sure, I think for sure he's a good manager. Um, the question is, can he do it over a season? And yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm very impressed, very impressed by the, the, how do you say, the determination at the weekend. I was really impressed. Like they were going, they were never, they never had their foot off the gas the way they, they, they almost, um, they almost like man marked them in some way and they were just like, uh, chasing them all over the pitch, even when they for the, the the fourth goal, like you see the determination is crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that's how you win football games, you know. For sure, and and I think it's also a beautiful advertisement for for clubs. And we spoke about leadership last week here, and and it's it's a recurring theme for me for sure. I don't know how much you're into that sort of talk, but for me, I'm always looking for for good leadership and and good management and how you go about managing a business the size of a Premier League football club. And it's this is a great advert for 
giving time and space for someone to do their thing. You know, we spoke about Arsenal and how they let Arteta cook. And and it's very similar here, obviously much smaller scale with Bournemouth being far removed from the limelight as, you know, compared to the Arsenals and the Man United of this world. But they let Iraola do his thing and, and they let him sort of implement his style and, and the players really bought into it and there was no freak out. There was no calls for his for his for his head to be to be chopped off and and now they're really reaping the rewards they're even really seeing how it developed how the new trans the signings that they made in summer are starting to to really flourish and and it it I'm, i was so impressed with them and and it, it's it, a it's one thing to to see um, a club get rewarded for standing by their manager the other thing is that it's really cool to see clubs being rewarded for having sort of an offensive approach to games, you know, like back in the day or what very often when, when the Guardiola city were at their peak, a lot of teams would just put 10 men behind the ball, two rows of four, two strikers in front and just kind of hope to only lose two nil. And now this season, especially against city, but also against other teams, e.g. the, the United game on the weekend, Bournemouth and, and other teams are doing it as well are going for it they're going for it in an attractive sort of attacking way and it, not only does it make for great watching but it also it reaps rewards it's that people like smaller quote-unquote clubs are getting results against the bigger teams and I think that's great it's great for the league and it's it's great for football as well because apparently I mean clean sheets are so hard to come by in the Premier now because people are saying let's just score more than the the opponents and I think I think it's it's a brilliant development in football yeah, clean sheets are not that hard at Old Trafford, to be fair. It's not a good, it's not a fair example there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to, I had to. Bournemouth, yeah. Man United, 3-0, I just, it was just there, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, well, you lost 3-0 before. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I don't understand oh why you're God. still teasing me. I mean, I'm, I barely watched the game. <laughs> This is ridiculous. Now watch the Bayern game. Yeah, it was it was better entertainment, you know. Yeah. Um, let's just quickly give a shout out to Sheffield, who also uh, recorded a big win for them. Brilliant goal by McAtee, by the way. If you have time to look this up, <laughs> what a goal! Beautifully taken. Man City seem to manage to dig out the slump a little bit with a win at Luton. We're not going to go into too much details there because that's going to just drag us on. I do want to talk about Chelsea, though. And again, you know, we spoke about them before and, and leadership there seems to be very tricky to, to come by. The, the key stat of this week is that Chelsea played 39 league games this year and they got 39 points from those 39 games. That is relegation form. That is relegation form. You're absolutely right. They're sat in 12th. They uh, haven't, they just haven't really set anything alight. And and the real question for me is, do you see anything coming together at Chelsea Football Club? Yeah, I mean, the last two performances were for sure a step back as well, so... It's, it's I mean, funny with Chelsea. We have because, to get yeah, the, yeah. They they did win against Brighton, but sandwiched around that. Yeah, it was the defeat yeah. at Newcastle, the defeat exactly, at United, yeah. and now the, the defeat to yeah. Everton. And... Yeah, yeah. It was it. It's surprising because like they're down there with. I mean, Wolves, for example. I think 
Wolves played some brilliant football this season. And that's the way I feel about Chelsea as well. Like, they had played amazing, but they're just not up to it to go to Newcastle and win. I mean, it's in a way it's it's weird because you see that you see the team sheets and you think that is a that is a good team. I mean, that is a good team. But then they just don't perform and so so what's the problem? It's difficult then? to say. Yeah, it's it's difficult to say. But I mean they, from those games who I watched who were against the big teams, most of the time they play well. But the the games I haven't watched, they, they didn't get the results. So maybe I need to start focusing on that. But from what I can see, like from the extended highlights, I mean the 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 front line, the, the striker for sure is an issue. I mean, he's not he's not converting the chances. Then Caicedo is I think it's always a bit with those Brighton players to go to Chelsea. It's not that not that easy for them to to do the same because they had a, a established system and established coach there. Yeah, it's difficult. That Palmer for sure a bright spot, but yeah, they're just they're just going through the motion a bit, and they're not really they're not lo- looking that affected by losing at Old Trafford. Like it's just, yeah, it's weird. And but but I wouldn't say that Pochettino. I, I would say Pochettino is the right man, and he's not the the right man. He's not the the guy to fire. You just need to give him time to sort out, the, to clear out all this dead wood, find the players he wants, give him transfer windows. Yeah, it's crazy that we're talking about Chelsea needing transfers when they spend like a billion in in a couple of. And seasons. that's the problem. That's probably the big the problem. You know, that's I mean, Chelsea spent I don't know how many how much money, but you say they need a goalkeeper and a striker. That is that is a big big worry, and that is a big problem. Yeah, I agree with you there. But just finally on this, before we move on to Arsenal and, and Aston Villa, if we said last week, it can change really quickly in football, you know, and you need that one or two guys to come in and kind of the whole mentality at the club changes. You said Pochettino is the right guy. And it had got me wondering, is there a manager, available or unavailable, who could walk into Chelsea and with the current set of players, with the current setup there, that manager could change Chelsea's fortunes around within a reasonably short amount of time. Is it is it that easy? Can one person just change it in that instance? I think there's enough examples in the past that it's probably not that easy to change it so quick. I mean, Klopp needed time, Guardiola needed time, Arteta needed time. It just needs time, I think. You just need time for the right players to come, uh, systems to to establish. I don't know if if I could say one person, I probably would say I don't know. Klopp, maybe I think he would maybe get the mentality right there. I don't know to be honest; it's difficult. Okay, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. We're back to discuss the Aston Villa versus Arsenal game. First things first, Aston Villa, fucking impressive. Fucking impressive. Two 1-0 victories at home to the two best teams uh, of the last couple of seasons. After beating City in midweek, they've now beaten Arsenal at home as well. 
uh, John McKinn scoring the only goal in a 1-0 victory. I didn't watch the game live. I only saw the highlights. Talk to me about the game. A fair result? Did you feel hard done by? There was a couple of refereeing decisions that we're going to get into. Review it. Mm, yeah, not a fair result, but I think it's fine. We had a lot of them as well this season where we didn't weren't quite the better team. I thought we won, so um, that's fine. But we were the better team easily, and we had more chances, and we should have scored, and I was very impressed. I think it was probably the best performance this season from us. And we just didn't score. And and yeah, that's how football goes. I think Aston Villa started good. And after the goal, it, it was just us, actually. And I think they were probably, like, you could see they were a bit laggy from Wednesday. And we played Tuesday. So that was a, a favor for us. Um, And yeah, I think we were just a better team and we just didn't win. Aston Villa have proved with this second victory over Arsenal that they can win in different ways. You know, the, the City game where they completely dominated, this one where they, yes, rode their luck, but but dug deep and defended deeper and 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 showed a bit of a gritty side to them. For some, this might be a cause to say they're winning the games in different ways. That's really scary. You're a big fan of Aston Villa myself, yourself. Are you now worried about them at some point <laughs> no i mean i did i mean i did expect them to to dominate us actually the way they played on wednesday and i thought that we were going to be the team who has to road our like a bit and oh, like some of the performance this year maybe be very very efficient but i'm i'm very happy actually i'm very happy that we 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 performed like that and it gives me a lot of confidence going forward because it's probably one of the toughest places to come and we really, we really dominated and um, very impressed with Havertz as well. I think Havertz is getting better by game. Um, yeah, but you want to talk about Aston Villa, didn't you? I do want to talk about uh, Aston Villa because in my <laughs> in my eyes, right, I don't yeah. think they can challenge for the title. But when you yeah, look it's at, probably, yeah. but when you look at the teams, right, what sticks out to me about Aston Villa is the midfield, the Kamara, Louis Douglas, Louise. Uh, Tielemans, what a turnaround, by the way. Toto and I went to watch him at Fulham last year when Leicester played there, and he was awful. And now suddenly he's like full of energy and dominating opponents. Really impressed by him. Anyway, Tielemans, Kamara, Douglas Louise, John McGinn, we've mentioned the names before. But what really is the difference between the two is that Aston Villa have a better goalkeeper and a better striker than Arsenal. And once you consider that, and once you consider the fact that they're only one point behind them, if Aston yeah. Villa keep everyone fit... Yeah, better keeper and better striker on form, but I will still say Jesus is a better striker than Watkins. He's a better goal scorer, for sure, Watkins is. Yeah, but, I mean, if uh, if Saka, Martinelli and Odegaard score so many goals Absolutely, of, of, but... of, of assists of Jesus, I don't think it really matters where the goals come from. But it's, put it this way. It's actually it really... Put it I this mean, way. Put it this yeah. way. If... Arsenal had Aston Villa's goalkeeper and Ollie Watkins up top. I would put them as favourites for the title. It wouldn't the, work though. Mike Watkins. He can he's he'll he'll score you 30 goals, which is some well, 25 goals maybe for Arsenal. And I don't think Jesus can do that. Anyway, talk to me about Aston Villa. Are you worried, yes or no? Yeah, um, top four is definitely a possibility, but yeah, I mean 
I mean, the title, I, don't, I just don't see it. I don't see it with, with Arsenal and Liverpool too, to be fair. I mean, that's I the thing, right? It. Because you yeah. have these three teams and they're all within two points, Man City just behind them. And, yeah. and kind of all of them, you can find arguments why they won't win the title. Yeah. And Aston Villa is just kind of like, everyone's just kind of doing, yeah, no, you won't get a second Leicester. Really? They're very good. They're very good. But I mean, look, I mean, the way they played against City definitely took me from like top six, top five to top four. Like they can compete with Tottenham and Liverpool and with us. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think because the way they are set up and the way Emery got them playing defensively and going forward and you see the patterns very clearly and you can see how they can create chance after chance with especially Telemans where the goal I think is the key pass you know where he just he gets the ball he knows where Bailey's gonna run and he just slots it in this area and then Bailey does does his uh, 1v1 very very good all of a sudden I mean he's a very good player I know him from Leverkusen as well but he just, I don't know what he found. Like his confidence is so high that he actually. Yeah, I remember can, very well him in the Bundesliga. Skills, you know? Yeah, we yeah, spoke in, about in, this too. He, suddenly he's just he fucking fire. on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And he's an amazing left foot as well. Yeah. And yeah, they, they're they're very good. But then again, few injuries and all. It can, but that's with every team, to be fair. So it's, it's very tough. But I, I don't, I just don't see it. I, I think. As soon as um, like the pressure now will co- will be a bit more high, you know, you have won these two games, Christmas period coming up. Yeah, let's see. Listen, I think I think Emery is really good at that though. I think Emery is really good at managing the pressure and kind of keeping the underdog syndrome going at the club. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think they will suddenly feel pressure to to win to chase a trophy. I think Emery is really good. This is a very outsider's view, of course, but I think he he's really good at kind of making sure the players know what they're fighting for. And I think that might work in their favor because just for a second picture, Aston Villa's form, patterns of play, quality in their squad, because they have the strength and depth as well. Yeah, That whole package in a Man United shirt, if that's the club, if just the club is different, if their home ground is Old Trafford, if the, the badge is different, the shirt is different, everyone's talking about them as title contenders. Every single person is like, they're the real deal. They can go for the title. If it's a club like Man United, of the size of Man United, because you know the club can do it. And now because it's Aston Villa, because they haven't won, you know, in so many years, because they don't usually even challenge for top four, people are like, "Hmm, no. But if that was Man United, people would be like serious contenders. Yeah. Bet you anything. And you draw, then you draw it to Bournemouth away, you know, and then it's like, you just need to win but, those games. and and But that's the beauty and, of it, right? Because again, if that's Man United, everyone loses their shit and you're like, the pressure then starts to mount again. But yeah. because it's Aston Villa, they can get by with those results because people will go like, well, they yeah. have Europe in midweek, they, you know. If they sort out their away form, then then they, they're serious. But away from home, they're just, in a way, not the same. They they have this... It's, I mean, I'm very fascinated by this home and the way mentality of it's things crazy even crazy at Newcastle, I mean, isn't it yeah and but when you're at the tv you can feel it you know you can mm-hmm. you're not like why they're playing shit you you feel like yeah i mean it is going to be tough and you feel that the, the energy and you feel like completely agree and, with and, you. And, and yeah you can feel it in a way and when arsenal play at home i'm, I'm so much more like 
comforted in a way. Like you can clearly feel that, and I think it's very interesting this sort of this sort of conundrum in a way because it's the same pitch, except that Luton, that Luton, the tip pitch is too too tight. But <laughs> it's so it's so amazing. But if it, if they can sort out this mentality that they're feeling with the same like confidence and the same ag- aggressivity with at home, then yeah, because I mean, I mean, I know it was first game of the season, but I mean. They got smashed at Newcastle as well, so yeah, Aston Villa um, sit ninth in the in the away league. Yeah, table. so they need to sort out the away format because that's a big. I mean, that's what Arsenal um had to get right before they could compete. You know, the away form at home we were always great. Yeah, at home we were like in the in the season we were finished fifth. We were always great and always playing free flowing football. But away from home, that's where you need a bit maybe a bit more mentality. Agreed. Okay, we will keep a keen eye on Aston Villa and enjoy their football. We have to go there, man, even though it's a topic that's been spoken to, spoken about to death and the VAR debate again. There was a couple of contentious decisions, a couple of Arsenal goals disallowed at the weekend. We just had a brief chat in during the break about this. Where do you, where do you stand on VAR? Because you were in the stadium on the weekend where your favorite club scored a goal that got disallowed. Rightly disallowed, we might add, because it was offside. The player clearly offside. No no debate there. But you were saying it kills the game on an emotional level. You kind of want VAR gone. Yeah. Just yeah, as you said. I mean, it's when you see the ball going inside of the net, you just want to scream. You just want to like scream and go crazy, and you can't do that anymore. And that's the whole reason. It's nothing more than that. And I just want that feeling again. I don't want the feeling of oh, I have to worry. If the linesman has his flag not up, then I can celebrate. And that's what I want again. I don't want to wait three minutes. To have like a, a, a like a, a, my my, I don't know how to say it. Like my celebration is coming down slowly up. You know, it needs to be instant. When the ball is inside of the net, it needs to be an explosion of feelings. You know, and the, especially in the stadium, I feel this way. And and then for the for the goal, it, by the letter of the law, it's a correct decision to to chop off that goal. But suddenly, when the ball is bouncing all over the place, and the Aston Villa player, a defender, is allowed to touch it, not deliberately, but the Arsenal player is. It's like, it's just chopping away goals and and the Gabriel Jesus one as well. I mean, if that's not a penalty, I'm fine with it. Honestly, it's okay. Like, but we just have given so many decisions like that and it just sickens me, honestly. I, I was so gutted after the game and I mean, at at Newcastle as well. Now at Aston Villa, it's just it's it's the it's the places when you when you when you need to find Martians to go with you and and it didn't. And it's there are two losses which they they suck and they suck really bad. And yeah, it feels two times we were hard done by Bavar and. So that's the that's the emotional yeah. side of it, right? The emotional side of you fandom wanting to be able to celebrate a goal. The yeah. The footballing side, the the, the interest of, the, of a fair game, which is what VAR came yeah. in to do, right? We all know it's much better to have that trepidation of can I or can't I celebrate mm. over losing a game 
i.e. the Liverpool situation, right? Liverpool Spurs, where Luis Diaz was offside, or wasn't offside, actually, was given offside. Losing a game through a decision like that, which is so horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. The injustice of that surely outweighs the not being able to celebrate a goal in the way you want to celebrate a goal. For football, I mean, like, for, like, the money-wise and the importance of the result, and, as I said, the players and the staff, coaching staff, are, like, on the training pitch the whole fucking day, and it's not fair to them. Like, it's not fair to them. But, to be honest, I could live with it more because I think, as a fan, I'm, I always feel like you get, throughout the season, the luck and the... And the... Um, it evens luck. out. The yeah. bad luck and the luck evens out a bit. Sometimes you just get a bad game. And and we just, I mean, of course we'd be angry, but now we're angry as well. I mean, fucking hell. I mean, the, the, the VAR, especially in England, it just, it just needs to improve. It, it's so it's so bad. But of course, the, the people running it, not the, the, the thing, the, the virus itself. But as I wanted to say, I could live with it better because it's, Sometimes you have the luck and sometimes you don't. But I just don't ever want to... I mean, I will, but I don't ever want to see a goal again and have to worry about it and not celebrate. I mean, I hate that feeling. And it's... and it's it, Of course, if you score a 30-yard screamer, then, you know, it's not going to be offside. But, um, yeah, for some goals. You do know, though, as a fan, don't you? When a goal goes in, you always have that pit in your stomach going like, ooh, that one pass in the build-up, that might have been offside, or there might have been a foul. Yeah. You have that, like, you kind of know, don't you, most of the time, whether or not yeah, this is... Yeah, but you like, don't. For instance, with Garnachos, so... like, with Garnachos, right? Like, that's yeah. one of those goals where you lose your head when you go and it goes in. And I immediately knew there's no way they can disallow this because, like, there was not even... You know, the, the whole build-up was clean. You just knew there was no worry, so you could. Yeah, but sometimes through. there is a foul in the fucking other side of the pitch, and so I mean, so but but you're saying yourself, the solution isn't to to abandon VAR. What is the solution? I mean, the problem. Yeah, it's a good. I mean, I heard there is going to be a technology for like um, offsides. Automated, so yeah. They, automated. That would help already massively i mean but yeah i mean the, the where to fix it i don't even get me started i think the rules probably are a bit um yeah they're not i don't think they 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 need to change some stuff like for the harvard school for, for example why when the ball is bouncing all over the place why can the defender touch it with the hand but the attacking player not yeah, you don't get that rule just because yeah. he's closer to the goal. Back in the day, we used to say the advantage goes to the to the striker. Like, what is this now reversed? I don't, I don't get this rule. Honestly, I don't get it. And yeah, lots of things. I don't think we have time for all the things. We we don't have time for all the things. I again, I'm looking for for leadership in the PGMOL. And it's really like yeah, which you and won't get, you won't which get you that. won't get. You won't get communication. No. You won't get. And what it's you're getting shit. instead is is actually what what something. Maybe we'll end on this. Is what I noticed is, is the sort of when when there is a contentious penalty decision and the referee is ordered over to the to the monitor, and especially in England, in other countries not so much, but especially in England, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time when a ref goes over to watch the footage, yeah. he's going to change yeah. his opinion, yeah. almost to the point where you're like, why bother? 
why bother? Why? Why yeah. go over the tea? It's just exactly. a, it's such it's such a nonsense. Exactly. Why you have someone who is as well qualified as you to to look at the pictures? Why do you have a different opinion on it? It yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. Just and, say the decision. And so when they do that, right? They the refs now have this. And I don't know if, you know if you've noticed this, but a couple of times when they like are forced to change the decision, their whole body language kind of sort mm, of yeah. goes goes a bit. You know, it mm -hmm. just you can just see like the penalty when, for instance, when they point to the point to the, to the penalty spot, right? When they announce the penalty, let's say they haven't given it, but the VAR has gone have a look at this, and you know it's coming, and then the ref kind of almost sort of like hunches his shoulder a little bit and goes okay var and yeah it's a pen and almost kind of apologetically points to the spot and you can just this is me interpreting body language but you can just feel yeah i know what you mean the humans aren't comfortable the way this no. is run you know and whether it needs to whether the i don't know interviews is something i love i'd love more communication more than just overhearing the conversations i'd love the refs to go and and tell me what they thought or what they decided or why they decided for it it's just yeah it you can just see that there's steps to be taken yet and and until that's that's that time comes we're going to struggle with these decisions time and time again and, and all teams are going to struggle with it i mean all all premier league teams every single one of them have their own stories of this season where stuff is going to get i i can name a few where like consistency hasn't been up and united have been you know victim fallen victim to certain inconsistencies and you might say it's it's it evens out but it really shouldn't it just just be a fair game and currently it's it's a bit of a mess and it, it appears to be a bit of a mess mainly in england and other countries seem to have better educated refs and it's horrendous and it needs to change yeah. once again leadership is needed my friend that Agreed. is all just one thing one thing yes. for um Aston Villa. yes see you at the emirates <laughs> fighting Aston Villa, so you are worried what a beautiful thing to end on Armand worried about Aston Villa. not so much worried about man united i'm not worried about shit. that i'm just saying see you at the emirates okay you're see a bit worried though aren't you yeah at the emirates. no i'm not see you he's at the a bit emirates. worried guys he's a bit worried i'm not i'm worried about Anfield. i'm not worried about Aston. sure sure Okay, see you soon. Bye-bye.